0: Is from 1 Samuel. We're now in the seventh chapter of Samuel. Israel, remember, had fallen into great darkness at the end of the time of the judges, which maybe overlaps with the first chapter or two of Samuel. Everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. Right worship is no longer happening. The priests of God are immoral. Israel goes to war against the Philistines. The ark is captured. And then after seven months, the ark is returned. But then God breaks out against the people, the Levites, in that place where the ark returned. And now they're all terrified of the ark of God, of God himself. And it seems that even in the land of Israel, the ark has been exiled now for 20 years in Kirith-Jerim. This is where our narrative picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 7. I'll read the entire chapter. Please remain seated, but I would ask you to stand at the end to honor the holy word of God, but hear God's holy inspired word for you this evening. The men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on a hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, "'Direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only, "'and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines.' "'So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, "'and they served the Lord only. "'Then Samuel said, "'Gather all Israel at Mizpah, "'and I will pray to the Lord for you. "'So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water "'and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day "'and said there, "'We have sinned against the Lord.' And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. When the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them, as far as beth Car, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, to Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there also he judged Israel, and he built an altar to the Lord. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we do come to you once again as stubborn, needy people. Soften our hearts, open our eyes, we pray as we consider your holy word in Christ Jesus name. Amen. Seeds of revival is the name of the sermon. Seeds of revival. 3 Rs for the 3 points. Revival is God's timing. Repentance comes first. There's always a reattack of the enemy. Revival is God's timing, repentance comes first, and the reattack of the enemy. Seeds of revival. If you look at the back of your bulletin, I know I don't often put pictures or drawings, but this is the cycle of sin and discipline and repentance and revival that we see not just in Scripture, not just with nations, but with churches, with individuals. We fall into sin and rebellion, God brings hardship and discipline. To his church because He loves us. It's followed by repentance and prayer. And then God brings deliverance and revival. This has been the cycle for age, ages and ages. It is interesting as a pastor to hear just how often, myself included, that we're tempted to talk about our time here, our present moment, as really the worst thing ever and the end of the age. Due to technological changes, everything has changed. When I was a kid, it was never like this. But now we have computers and phones and everything has changed. Our way of life is coming to an end. Or due to political changes or vice or corruption or war or whatever. This certainly must be the final crisis of our planet. This certainly must be the end of all our hopes and dreams. Everything is Coming to an end. It's all being dismantled and destroyed once and for all. Oh, what should we do? We're at the end of the time, the end of the age. And I've said it before everyone in every age has felt just like this. Everyone. Nothing has changed. It's always felt like this. Israelites felt like this for 20 years or more. Imagine living, just some examples. Imagine that you live in the Iron Age. There's never been iron. And all of a sudden, iron is created. And now ironsmiths and steel smiths are a national resource. But the enemy has all the ironsmiths. They have all the best weapons. They're going to dominate us forever. Our life is coming to an end. Our country cannot survive. Life is over. There's always been something, some new technology that has Separated peoples and made one stronger than the other. How about invasions? The Christians in Spain during the Muslim invasion in the six and 700s. Death, destruction, conquering everything, destroying churches. Or the Christians in Europe during the Mongol invasions. They conquered, killed, dominated, squashed everything. There's no hope. Our way of life is over. The end is near. Or imagine living during the plagues in Europe, in the Middle Ages. Half of the population of Europe died. 100 million people, it's estimated, died. Imagine half of the population of the United States dying over the course of 5 or 10 years. They were people without hope. You can read their writings and you see the hopelessness. They were confused and defeated and dejected. Life would never be the same again. The end is near. There is no hope. Or more modern times, imagine being in the South during the Civil War as destruction was just sweeping down. Armies were destroying everything. Men, women, children. Civilians. The first war where civilians were directly targeted. And a swath of destruction is just left wherever the armies go. Everything is gone. It's all burned down. Whole cities are leveled. Farms if you had a farm in the Shenandoah Valley it was just destroyed as an act of war destroyed farms up and down the valley just because they were farms can you imagine churches destroyed churches used as stables stables here this would be a stable the end was near never ever would it be the same again God must be coming soon. Imagine being alive in World War II. 85 million people died. War touched everyone. The immorality of the Nazis, the violence seemed to consume the day. Entire people groups were exterminated, including the Jews. The Christians of that day thought that the end was near. This was the end. This is the very end. Christ is coming. Life could never be the same again. I think you get my point in every... Every generation, we see this similar cycle. And God's always in it. It's never random. It begins with apostasy and sin. God brings oppression and hardship. The people of God respond with repentance and worship. And God brings deliverance and peace. In 1 Samuel 7, Israel is in the middle of this cycle. And we see it. After a hundred or more years of sin and apostasy, God had brought hardship and darkness. And finally, the people are repenting. This is our prayer. That people everywhere would repent and God would send revival and deliverance. So the first point, revival is God's timing. Revival. It's in God's timing. Let's look at a few things when we say that. Verses 1 and 2 show us that the ark had returned. It seemed that the glory of the Lord had not departed from Israel. And even though the ark had returned for 20 years, it stayed in just a guy's house. It wasn't in the tabernacle. We're also introduced here to Samuel once again. Where's Samuel been? For three chapters, we don't hear any mention of Samuel. But then we learn at the end of the chapter that Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went on a circuit year by year to these cities. He was all over. In the midst of the great hardship and the darkness, we are called to be like Samuel, just to be faithful. For 20 years, Samuel did what he was called to do. For 20 years, there was no regular worship, it would seem. What's going on? Samuel was being faithful. He went on a circuit and he preached God's word for 20 years. He walked around speaking the words of God. For 20 years, he was faithful to teach. For 20 years, it seemed that nobody was listening. And if you read much history, you see the same situation over and over again. God raises up men to preach and nobody listens. But this is all to God's glory. To proclaim the word of God to a people who refuse to listen to the word of God, who just want to be left alone. For 20 years, this was the ministry of Samuel. It was also the ministry of Jesus. Matthew 13 says, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. So, why would God send Samuel to preach for 20 years for his glory? That's why Paul tells us to preach in season and out of season. That's a long out of season for Samuel, isn't it? 20 years out of season. That's a lot of out of season preaching. Thankfully, you all are very sweet and kind and you listen to the words I say, but it would be really difficult if I were preaching out of season for 20 years. Nobody listened to him. Why? Why? Well, it's for God's glory, as we said. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 that God uses us to spread the aroma, us preachers, to spread the aroma of knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death. To the other we are an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to the task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the Word of God for profit. On the contrary, we speak in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. And of course, it's not only preachers that are called to be in season and out of season. In your own witness, you also are called to be faithful as Samuel was faithful. So after 20 years of oppression and hardship and faithful preaching, the people responded with repentance. Praise God. And so it has always been. After the darkness, there always comes light. Always. This is how God works. He'll give you to your sin, but then He brings light out of darkness. Always. After the night, the sun always rises, doesn't it? So this is a truth for pastors in every age that we are to be faithful faithful to God's Word, faithful to God. But it's not just for pastors, it's for all of us. When you feel like life and culture is difficult and dark, be faithful. When you feel like there's no hope for your family, be faithful. You probably have people in your mind right now. Be faithful. When you feel like you'll never, ever make it through this very difficult trial, You're so depressed. You're feeling oppressed. Be faithful. If need be, be faithful for 20 years like Samuel. Or as long as it takes. Why? Because God will never, ever forget the cries of His faithful ones. You know, don't you, that He loves you. He loves those whom He's chosen and brought into His family. He loves you. And the first step in your faithfulness to God is repentance and prayer. In these difficult times, repentance and prayer, that's where we go. That's the second point. Repentance comes first. If we want the goodness of revival and deliverance, we're going to repent before our God. In verse 3, Samuel says, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away foreign gods. Direct your heart to the Lord. God just He doesn't want just a hand wave. Yeah, I'm sorry, God. No, he wants your whole heart. He wants all of you. After 20 years of preaching, the people of Israel were moved to repent, and they obeyed God's Word. And this was a hard thing to come with all their hearts. For probably a hundred or more years, they had been tempted and drawn into this Baal worship. In Baal and Ashtaroth, it was like a husband and wife. Baal the husband, Ashtaroth the wife. And how did you worship Baal? How did you worship Ashtaroth? It was sex. You would go to the temple and have sex. Have sex with the priests. So the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes were combined into some horrible demonic worship. It was from the pit. But it corroded the hearts of the people. God says there can be no compromise with these idols. Put away the bales. Put away the astroths. Put them away. Come to God with all your heart. They had to run from their sin and run to their Savior. This is repentance. You run from your sin and to your Savior. You run. And it's for us every day as well. Repentance. Our shorter catechism says repentance in the life is a saving grace. It's a gift from God whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin in other words you understand your sin and an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ you understand the great mercy that God has brought you to himself because of this you you with grief and hatred of your sin turn from it but not just turn from sin you turn from sin to God and that's the key it's to God you fix your eyes on Jesus And you have a full purpose of, and endeavor after, a new obedience. That's not a one-time event. This is every day. For me, it's multiple times a day. God, I'm so sorry that I thought that wicked thought or did this wicked thing. Forgive me. And you know what? The mercy of Jesus is great. The mercy of our God is great. So, most people, I think, like the idea of coming to Jesus for salvation, of course. But the whole repenting of sin part, that's not as enjoyable, is it? We want to hold on, especially to our special sins, our secret sins that no one knows about, our modern day idols, our own Baals and Ashtaroths that we know we must put away, but we're not going to. Because I've got this special orchid, or I've got this special thing worked out with God, you see, because I can still serve God and still have this thing on the side. Plus, it's not really an idol. You know, it's just this thing I really like. It's not an idol. I'm not really going to have to put that away. How many of us have made deals with ourselves to hold on to idols, to secretly permit such idolatry to coexist with God? God. Repent. We must repent. You're deceived if you think you can have a secret arrangement with God regarding sin. Samuel says, No, no secrets. It's hard for us because we think that we're probably okay right now. Our life just needs a little tweak. And the scriptures say we need to be completely remade, new creations. Your life doesn't need a tune up, you need an overhaul. Like the Israelites, come to God with all your hearts today. Each one of you, come to God with all of your hearts in repentance and in prayer. We read in Hebrews 4 what that looks like. Let us strive to enter that rest. That's the first part is the striving. We strive against sin. We, we come toward God. We fix our eyes on Jesus and run to Him. Why? So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience that he described from the Old Testament saints. And the key for them and the key for us is the same. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Submit yourself to regular preaching and teaching of the Word of God. God keeps you safe in His Word. He keeps you safe from these idols that would seek to devour you. So repentance certainly is the desired outcome of hardship and discipline. He wants us to come back to Him. It's the knowledge of knowing the deepness of our sin, of seeing the suffering Christ on the cross, and knowing that He is there because we put Him there with our rebellion and our sin. It's grieving that horrible part inside each of you that loves sin and turning from it unto God out of love for Him and God is glorified in this repentance. But there's always going to be a reattack. This is point 3. There's going to be a reattack. The enemy is not going to give up this ground that has been taken from him easily. He's coming back and often repentance will never is repentance the end. It's never the end. Repentance is the first step. It's maybe the beginning of the end, as Churchill would say. Or the end of the beginning. But it's never the end of the journey. In life and in faith, repentance is part of the process of life. And God is glorified when His people repent and turn to truth. But the enemy is coming. He's going to attack. He hates you. And often it's in the same exact place where you just repented and, and cleaned it up by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've changed your life. Satan often comes back to that same spot. If you repent of pornography, Satan will come back and attack with a temptation to pornography and lust. If you repent of unforgiveness or bitterness, he will come back and attack you by causing some great offense in your life. If you repent of pride or self-glorification, Satan will quickly attack again with feelings of second-placism or inferiority. He's always going to come and try that button once again. And this is what he does with Israel. It's exactly what he does with Israel. The Philistines come back. They've repented and the Philistines are back again. It's the same situation almost. The whole army of the Philistines has shown up. And the first time you remember, they used the ark of God as a good luck charm or something and brought it with them and thought, oh no, we've got our ark. We're going to win. They didn't trust God. They were completely defeated. This time it's different. They cry to Samuel to intercede for them, to pray for them, to sacrifice for them. And he sacrifices a lamb. They pour out water before God. Pouring out water in a desert is not smart, but they're pouring it out before God. They're saying, all that we need is in your hands. And the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines. And threw them into confusion and they were defeated before Israel. God heard their prayer and he defeated their enemies. He brought deliverance. He brought about revival that day. And Samuel doesn't want the people to forget it. And that's the conclusion is the Ebenezer. The Ebenezer was the name of the stone that he set up to remember all that God had done. He said, till now the Lord has helped us. He doesn't mean just in that battle. He's talking about from Abraham, called all the way to the present time. Until this moment, God and all His promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, delivering us from Egypt, bringing us into the promised land, till now the Lord has helped us. He's always been faithful to us even when we were unfaithful. They trusted God and they received a great victory. We should always remember, like our own Ebenezers, you should set up Ebenezers in your mind. You should journal and write down the things that God has done so that you never forget all of God's work. If you take a moment and just think of all that God's done for you in the past six months, I would imagine you would be greatly encouraged. Every answer to prayer. Every great mercy that He's shown you. Remember what God has done for you. Of course, the most important thing that God has done for us is given us a perfect priest. The greater Samuel, the one who intercedes for us even today, who sacrificed everything for us, sacrificed his own body, so we turn to the Lord's Supper with